Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. You can see from the title of this episode, this is Gabriella, whom you heard from on Psychology. She had contacted me to interview me for her paper about collecting and nostalgia and the psychology of all that. She had a number of questions in the first episode. I was asking her the questions. So I said, let's just uh, do another episode and you can ask me your questions. So that's there for your uh, listening pleasure. Thank you, Gabriella, for uh, participating. And I hope your paper gets an A. And here it is. Welcome, Gabriella Fetman. You were on as an as esteemed guest before, talking about your psychological uh, studies and academic pursuits. But uh, today, I'm just going to answer some of your questions, and hopefully I won't be a psychological guinea pig for you, where you'll be asking me tricky counseling-type questions, but more about whatever you would like as you're doing some research on our wonderful awesome hobby. So welcome, Gabriella, and hit me with your first question. Okay. I was just wondering to begin how you started in the industry and how you got to where you are now. That'll take the whole time to answer that one, but <laughs> uh, basically, where, where I got to now is I, I'm retired now because I sold my company and I've worked really hard for a long time, had some great teammates, but talking about nostalgia, one of the interesting things is my dad had collected and he didn't collect when I was around, but when I was 11 years old, my dad gave me his cards from when he was a kid. And that was really a great connection with my dad. They're now pretty valuable, but they weren't that valuable then. But it gave me a, a, a jump start to think, hey, it's more fun to collect sports cards than stamps as I moved around a lot. And then I got a PhD in statistics and I thought there needs to be better organization within this industry. So I, I did the first comprehensive price guides and it turned into a company. And like I said, I had some great teammates, had a great ride and then sold it. So now I'm retired. And I can do podcasts and, and be a more casual collector. Okay, next question. How has technology played a role in the industry? I think I was ahead of my time when I started because I'm very blessed to start when personal computers were coming on board and I'd done enough programming in my PhD work that I could did stuff didn't exist. You had to write your own programs. So I went from being this power user, power programmer kind of person to as the company got bigger and everything got more complicated to then being just a user. I used to be the help desk and then now I needed a help desk and, and I just kept getting kicked upstairs to where now it's amazing the technology. Really now what we're seeing is a lot of technology applied to how to collect better, how to know what your stuff is worth. The Beckett Media, the Beckett Price Guides are still useful, but any printed price guide that's published, that's surveying and tabulating, there's just a time lag there on the most valuable cards that are the most fast moving. The technology now allows you to have more instantaneous feedback. So I applaud it. If I were still in business, it'd be a scramble. My friends that are still doing the price guides, the technology has just made things so instantaneous. And again, it's brought greater enjoyment to a lot of people. So I am now uh, a novice technology. All the programming I did was command line and all these other languages that are now everything's more graphical. Okay, next question. How has grading techniques changed over time? And what's the future of grading with the hobby growing so fast? One thing that's interesting is that grading, you would think it wouldn't change over time, but you said grading techniques. The techniques have changed over time. The concern that people have that's legit is that as these grading techniques get better and better, and we're better able to use mechanical, automated kinds of things, it brings a greater level of scrutiny than the human eye can have. When we started the early grading companies that are pretty established now, I mean, you might be looking at things under some magnification, some black light, but they have lots more tools now that are able to detect the more minute defects. Also, there have been increased technology and techniques for the cheaters 
to counterfeit or to doctor cards illegally. So I think grading is here to stay. But if this became a hobby of if a 10 or nothing, it's either a 9.5 or a 10 or it's nothing. Maybe a nine is okay. That's not really the whole hobby. So I think things that are even an authentic card that's not very good, you don't really need to grade that, except you might want to grade it if it's valuable just to say that it is authentic, but there's something wrong with it. So grading techniques, if we had this conversation in five years, be interesting to see. Because I think things are going to continue. And I think that's improvement. <laughs> anyway, okay, next question, Gabrielle. That's a tough one. Yeah, sorry. What do you feel the future is in collecting? I think the future's bright. I think that what we're seeing with the, the Top Shot and some of these NFT, non-physical kinds of cards, just show that there's a lot of dynamic element going into, and it's not all nostalgia, although I think the NFTs are could wind up being a major thrust in the nostalgic, older kinds of moments if they do that, because yesterday's dunk that you saw on ESPN, it's already fresh in your mind. As we've discussed before, I don't think there's a nostalgic element to that. It was yesterday, <laughs> but something from Babe Ruth home run that you saw a moment, a clip of that might be of, of greater interest. There still needs to be some feeling of nostalgia. There'll always be some ebb and flow of pricing. My pet peeve is that people think the health of the hobby is based on price increases or the consistent price increases of bellwether cards. I think we're seeing now that some things go up for, for a long while and then stabilize, maybe go down a little bit. As long as people accept that, they're not going to freak out that the sky is falling whenever something has a dip. All financial markets should have dips. And people say, buy the dip. You buy the big dip or buy the little dip. And there's some things that haven't dipped yet. <laughs> That's another question, Gabrielle. Why do you think this industry has grown so fast during the pandemic? There's no sports to watch that was live, which meant no fantasy sports, no uh, sports gambling. I used to do some fantasy sports, but I've not really ever been a big gambler. Unless you count <laughs> buying sports cards. So I, I think what's happened is that people had more time to be inside, sheltered in place. You mentioned your dad and your brother. Mm -hmm. They were not thrown together, but that's a beautiful story. So that was happening on some level around. People were at home more. They were looking for things to do, reconnecting with hobbies. And you've also brought up as a psych major, brought up the aspect of there's been some fear and the, the fear of what's going on. People have gravitated and tended back toward, hey, I've got these cards and uh, let's uh, organize them or sell a few. For every buyer, there's a seller. So for these cards to come out, somebody has to put it out there. And so maybe there's some people in the pandemic in the last year that needed money. And so they put good cards into the float and other people bought them and then other people flipped them and other people collected them. And it added more focus on that ecosystem. When you have more eyeballs, more participation, more time spent. It's a recipe for it got hotter. Okay, another question. What advice do you have for new people in the hobby? Let me put it in the terms of your 13-year-old brother. One of the things that's going to be lasting for your brother, and I hope he's a collector for the rest of his life, uh, based on your dad, there's a good possibility. But more important than that, perhaps, and I hope you're not jealous of your brother, but your dad is going to have a special connection with your brother and vice versa. This is a hobby that you can enjoy for the rest of your life. I don't know that you have to pace yourself all the time because there's some peak load kinds of times where you're really into it. But if your brother really gets into it and has a, a learning experience, you mentioned the competition with his homework. There's a lot of learning experience of just learning about business and learning about life and psychology if you go to a card show or, or a local card shop. So I think if your brother paces himself and learns from your dad's successes and failures, as we all have, it can be great life lessons that are very enjoyable along the way. And learning, they always say, collect what you like, but sometimes you like what you collect. 
So if he thought, I'm going to investigate soccer cards, then he probably ought to follow soccer and enjoy that or whatever. So there's lots of different ways he can do it. It's a chicken and egg thing, whether you collect what you like or you like what you collect. So the bad advice, the counter advice is collect what other people tell you to collect, how other people tell you to collect. I, I think there probably are some wrong ways if you're imprudent about overpaying. But if you collect what you like and you're not looking to quickly flip it, you're going to enjoy it for a while. And then if you sell it for, for more than what you bought it for, that's all the better. Okay, another question. Do you feel there will be a bubble because prices are soaring too fast and too high? I've tried to say that it's bubbles, not bubble. Uh, if there was like one giant spotlight as opposed to a whole bunch of LED lights. If there, there are bubbles that are popping each or balloons, whatever. They're little tiny balloons. So somebody gets injured and his balloon pops for a while, but then it might get patched and filled up with air. And the concern is if there's a macro bubble or balloon where the whole thing, where there's confidence lost in the whole category. I can't say it's impossible. It's possible. It could be affected by some global condition. Again, the pandemic actually made it stronger, but there are other things you could envision apocalyptic scenarios where people are not caring about uh, sports cards and sports memorabilia. But like I said, psychologically, that you're going to feel some comfort with having that. So I think there will be bubbles popping. And if as long as it's not the big bubble, then people are going to say soccer cards have doubled in price. They used to be considered cheap. Now they look expensive. I'm going to switch over to basketball. Oh, basketball's up now. I'm going to switch to hockey. Oh, hockey's up. I'm going to go back to baseball. So as long as there's a lot of alternatives and movement, within the, the broader category, then people are going to learn that everything does not go up forever. Mm-hmm. And there are always comparisons. That's a great lesson for your brother. There's a buy and hold strategy. But if you continue to buy and things continue to go up, at some point, you're going to buy something that peaked in price. Or if you buy a card for $100 and 10 years later, it's $100, do you think you didn't lose money? There's transaction costs and there's opportunity cost. It, it was stuck there. But you got enjoyment out of having that $100 card for 10 years. So is that a bubble popping? No. So the bubble is more about the liquidity and that when you can't sell something, that would be a danger sign. Okay. What is the biggest challenge you've seen so far in the industry? I don't think it's the biggest challenge, but I think it's a challenge that I'd like to see addressed collaboratively and cooperatively, and that is integrity. When I had a company and I had some great teammates and we really tried to do that, but it's a competitive environment out there. People are trying to get an edge. And I just hope that the uh, bad actors are weeded out. And that's a battle because as we said, the technology is improving to where the crooks have better tools. So I'm hoping as I have my living happily ever after, at least for a long time, uh, desire that integrity prevails, that the companies that are really not cutting corners, that are doing things right, would succeed. And that dealers that are doing fair deals and grading companies and collectors that are looking for win-win kinds of things and having high integrity. That's really what I, I mean, the other way the bubble can pop is that people get turned off by mm-hmm. being cheated or getting a bad deal. If, if I buy something at $10 and it goes to $20 and whether it's manipulation or not, or it goes to $5 and I make or lose money, I want to feel like there's integrity in the system. And so as long as there is, that would be my great hope. And that's probably a positive note to end on, Gabriella. Excellent question. I wish you well in your studies. And I don't know whether you want to be psychology. It's like getting a law degree. If you get a law degree, you don't have to practice law, but you know about the law. You don't get a psychology degree. You don't have to practice psychology, but it sure helps in dealing with people, the normal types and the abnormal types. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Gabriella. I wish you well in your studies and in your future life. I hope you'll be an encouragement to your brother and your dad as they're now outed. <laughs> yeah. Thank okay. you so much.
Thanks, listeners. Be back again tomorrow with another episode.